Now, I prepared actually a sermon for this week. Actually, I prepared on marriage, remarriage, and divorce. But obviously, that's something that no longer interests you at this particular time. And so instead, I got hold of, a, uh, of an article that, which was written by Gospel Coalition. And this was written by Mark Oden. And the title of the article is Eight Things the Coronavirus Should Teach Us. So I'm planning to read portions of Mark Oden's uh, article. He, was, he, by the way, graduated from uh, the United Kingdom. He's now a pastor in Italy, which happens to be the epicenter right now of the epidemic. So I think what he has to say, most especially being in the midst of the epidemic, is really quite relevant for us. But before we start, I'd like us to begin with a word of prayer. Those of you who are watching through live stream, uh, we are blessed that you're watching us. Yesterday, uh, we did the live stream just using a cell phone, and about 5,000 people accessed the cell phone yesterday. Now, the sound was not so good. It was quite blurry. Uh, but then again, people are listening and paying attention. So... We would like to encourage those who are on live stream right now, could you please share uh, this video uh, to your friends, like it, share it, tag people, so that we can share the gospel to as many people as possible. So we'd all like to begin with a word of prayer, so those who are present here right now, uh, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this Blessed time, we know, Father, that you are with us. In fact, Lord, whenever we go through suffering and adversity, we know, Father, that, that you are with us in a very manifest way. And so we thank you for your presence in our midst. We ask, O oh God, that you might minister to us, minister to the people who are here present, and minister to the people who are watching through live stream. We pray, O oh God, that the Word of God will come across them very powerfully, and we are fully dependent on you and the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for myself, O oh God, you know how weak a vessel I am, how inadequate I am, how insufficient I am. And so, Lord, I humble myself before you. I know thousands of people are listening right now and paying attention to what I have to say. And so, Lord, I, I pray for myself. Please don't frustrate these people. Don't disappoint them. Minister to them, Lord, in ways beyond, way beyond my capacity. And so, Lord, speak to them and minister to them. Comfort them and grant them peace. And I pray, Father, that this will result in a harvest of souls. Lord, whatever is going to be achieved, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Again, just to give credit where credit is due, this is not an original sermon. This is coming from Mark Oden based on the article, Eight Things the Coronavirus Should Teach Us. So I would like to use this article because as I mentioned to you, he is at the center of the, uh, 
of the, uh, he is at the epicenter of the epidemic right now. In fact, it's not just an epidemic, it's pandemic already. And so what he has to say is quite relevant and significant for all of us. So I will pick up certain excerpts from what he said. I'd like to read his introductory portion. And this is what he says. Italy currently has the highest reported number of coronavirus cases outside of China. 9,172 cases and 463 deaths. In fact, this is, I believe, outdated already. The figures have gone so much higher. As a result, 60 million people have been told to remain in their homes unless absolutely necessary. When did, it ever, when did it ever happen in the history of this world that 60 million people have been quarantined? And we're just talking about one nation only, just one nation. And think about what is happening right now all over the United Kingdom, Spain, Germany, and now in the United States. One uh, brother, one pastor friend of mine in the United States told me that there is now panic buying in California. The panic buying, by the way, is not only about groceries, not only about toilet paper, but there's panic buying with guns. And you might ask the reason why are they buying guns right now? And I think the major reason is they are expecting anarchy that is about to take place in the United States because when people start hoarding groceries and goods, obviously the poor will have either little or maybe even nothing. So guess what some people might attempt to do? Well, they might barge into homes not because they want money, but because they want food. And think about what is going to happen. There will be extreme chaos when this happens, and there will be bloodshed. We hope this will not happen. But this is what people are expecting right now. Continuing on with the article, Mark Oden asks, how, how are we as Christians to respond to such a crisis? Answer, with faith, not fear. We are to look into the eye of the storm and ask, Lord, what are you wanting me to learn through this? How are you seeking to change me? My dear brothers and sisters, now is a time of introspection. Now is a time of self-examination. Now is the time wherein we need to look deep within us and ask ourselves, what is God speaking to us at this particular juncture? Because most definitely, this is not an accident. These things have happened and taken place by the sovereign permission of God. And God never, ever is taken by surprise. God knew this was going to happen, and God knew that He is going to accomplish certain purposes. And one of the purposes for us believers, obviously, 
is we want to learn from this. What is it that God is trying to teach us? Is He talking about sanctification in our case at this time? Is it possible that there is a compromise that we have to let go? Is there a sin that you and I need to confess before the Lord? You see, we have taken things too casually and lightly. Even church has become like a mall. It has become optional to a lot of people. People no longer consider attending a church a must or a necessity. And that to me is rather unfortunate. God is speaking to us. This is a microphone. This is God's microphone. And God is telling us something. But the question is, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Do you want to follow God's will? Now, here are eight things Mark Oden says we'd all do well to learn or relearn from this coronavirus care. Number one, our fragility. This global crisis is teaching us how weak we are as human beings. At the time of this writing, March 11, and again, as I mentioned to you, this is already outdated. As of the time of this writing, 98,429 cases of coronavirus have been reported worldwide, causing 3,387 deaths. Actually, again, this is outdated. There are more than 4,000 people who have died already. He says, we're trying our best to contain its spread, and for the most part, I guess, we're confident of eventual success. Now imagine a virus even more aggressive and contagious than coronavirus. By the way, coronavirus is stronger than the ordinary flu by three times. It is stronger by three times. And what actually happens is if it worsens, actually your lungs have great difficulty in breathing. It's like you're drowning. And because of difficulty of breathing, some people will not be able to survive. Now, faced with such a threat, if we have a virus stronger than coronavirus, he asked, could we prevent our own extinction as a species? The answer is clearly no. It is easy to forget that we human beings are weak and frail. Now, our problem sometimes is we think that we can actually predict the time of our death. Some of us make plans and we, we think we can die at the age of 70 years old or we can die at the age of 80 years old or maybe even 90 years old. Let me tell you here and now that life is so fragile you cannot make that prediction. The Bible says do not boast about tomorrow for we do not know what tomorrow brings. So friends, we don't know exactly when our expiration date takes place. If you're young, don't be overconfident. If you're healthy, do not be overconfident. If you're wealthy and you have access to doctors and hospitals, don't be overconfident. Look at what happened to Kobe Bryant. Who would have thought that at the age of 41 years old, Somebody as famous, somebody as wealthy, 
somebody as powerful as Kobe Bryant would die. But that happened. Once again, what does that teach us? Life is fragile. We do not know. We're here now. Tomorrow, we're not really that sure. And that's why, friends, we need to take these things seriously. The words of the psalmist ring true. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16 states, The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. This is what the Bible says, that we are like a flower of the field. We're blown by the wind, and just by that blowing, very soon we're gone. That is why in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the question I would like to ask you. Are you prepared? If God takes you home right now, are you prepared? Are you ready to go? First question you need to be able to answer. Do you really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you sure you are saved? Are you sure that your name is written in the book of life? That's one question you have to be able to answer. And I would like to address those who are on live stream right now. You need to be able to answer that question. Even believers and even those who profess Christianity need to hear this message. Why? Because only the blood of Jesus Christ can actually cleanse and wash all of our sins. If you're relying on something else, if you're relying on yourself, if you're relying on your good works, if you're relying on your own righteousness, if you're relying on any other God or on any other religion, I have news for you. Only Jesus Christ saves. The Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible says that there is no name by which you and I can be saved, whether in heaven or here on earth, except the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Now, some of you might be saying right now, I don't want to hear that right now. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm very confident that even if I get hit with this coronavirus, I will survive. Friends, don't be overconfident. Because this virus can hit you in ways that you do not expect. And my big question for you, and for those who are listening on live stream, is are you ready to meet your Maker? Are you ready to meet the Lord? And you know what? Although I have the firm belief that God is seated on His throne, I cannot give anyone an assurance that none of us, none of us will die. I'd like to be able to comfort you and say, you know what? We will, we will survive this. We will all live through this. As you very well know, the reality menu tells us that nobody is assured that you will survive this. So here's the big question. Are you ready? For us believers in Christ, we need to ask ourselves the question, have we put our lives to good use? 
Have we done enough? Have we shared the gospel enough? Have we served God enough? That is a question I believe needs to be answered. Are you confident that when you die, God would be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Master. I hope that you have that confidence. You know, so much of our lives and so much of our energies, so much of our resources have been put to waste. And yet right now, we begin to realize what is of eternal value. So friends, yes, the first lesson is our fragility. Here's our second lesson, our equality. This virus does not respect ethnic boundaries or national borders. It is not a Chinese virus. It is our virus. It is in Afghanistan, Belgium, Cambodia, Denmark, France, America, 77 countries and counting have been contaminated by the coronavirus. We are all members of the great human family created in the image of God. The color of our skin and our cultures count for nothing in the eyes of a contagious disease. In our suffering, in the pain of losing a loved one, we are completely equal, weak, and without answers. In the face of death, you and I are equal. In the face of death, brothers and sisters, understand it's not about wealth. It's not about being poor. It's not about being handsome or being ugly, being beautiful or not attractive. It's not about having much or having less at this point in time. We're all equal at this particular juncture. And that's why there are a lot of people who are desperate right now. Even a famous actor like Tom Hanks and his wife, they've been con contaminated by uh, the coronavirus. And even basketball players, NBA players, have been contaminated by the virus itself. The NBA has been suspended. And so this is what has happened right now in our world today. And so everybody right now is feeling equal. This is a time of great humbling. Those who are wealthy, those who have a lot, are now worried. They're worried about their businesses. They're worried about their resources. They're worried about how long this virus will take, and they're not sure if their resources will actually hold out. What about their loans in the bank? What about the materials that they're trying to import from other countries? What about the airline business right now? They're now retrenching some of their employees. Some of their employees are continually employed, but right now without pay. Friends, this is the reality that you and I now face. Everybody is on an equal standing right now. That is why, friends, I know that people are listening right now. 
If people have felt adequate, if people have felt sufficient, if people have felt stable right now, they are feeling insecure, inadequate, and insufficient. And that is why I believe right now they are paying attention and they are listening to us right now. And i just like to tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, those of you who are here right now and those of you on live stream, let us not waste this virus because there is a grand opportunity that God has given to us right now. An opportunity which probably in the next few months or in the next years to come will not be there. People are now paying attention. This is now the time to speak. We must not quarantine the gospel. We must not quarantine the Word of God. Be proactive right now. Some of us are on Facebook. Now is the time for you, if you are really on Facebook, if, you, if, this, is, if this has become a hobby to you, use Facebook right now to share the gospel. Use Facebook right now to bring the gospel into the homes of people. Don't talk about petty and puny things anymore. You know, sometimes, as I mentioned to you, we Filipinos are very resilient. We make fun even of the coronavirus. There's so much joking and teasing taking place even on Facebook right now. Is this the time to crack jokes? Is this the time to laugh? No, friends, God is speaking to us. And I pray we're, we're paying attention and we're making, we're making use of the opportunity that God has given to us. I shared in the video two incidents in church history. The first incident was the incident of the bubonic plague or what was called as the Black Death during the time of Martin Luther. During that time, Martin Luther used that, that grand opportunity to share the gospel to as many people as possible. The same thing happened with Charles Haddon Spurgeon when the cholera outbreak took place in London. Charles Haddon Spurgeon took advantage by sharing the gospel to as many people as possible. And according to uh, historical records, there was a great and mighty harvest during that time. Here's one thing I know will happen in this particular case. There will be a harvest of souls. Let me just remind you, if you and I are feeling a bit of worry and a bit of fear right now, let me just remind you that if you go to the book of Revelation and understand what is going to happen in the tribulation period, it's going to be far worse. Right now, we're talking about thousands of deaths. And that's huge. But friends, when you go to the tribulation period, we're talking about millions upon millions of people dying. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Mount of Olives sermon that He shared in the Olivet Discourse, said, if those days... He's talking about the tribulation period, which will last for seven years. He said, if those days would not be cut short, nobody would survive. Why? Because in the tribulation period, you're talking about meteor showers. You're talking about calamities like mega 
earthquakes. You're talking about water being contaminated, the water supply being contaminated, people unable to drink potable water, pestilence, plagues, inflation, wars. That will happen in its greatest intensity in the tribulation period. Why? Because that will be the time wherein God will be judging the world. And right now, even right now, I believe there is a certain kind of judgment that is beginning to take place. This is judgment to a certain extent. And why is the world being judged right now? Because there are so many atheists right now who deny the existence of the God who created them. There are those who are agnostics, who are so proud, who think they have a chip on their shoulder. They think that they are the intellectuals of our time. Thinking themselves intelligent that they could say that, yes, God exists, but we cannot know God. How can that be intelligent? How can that be brilliant? Did the God who created us, will He not reveal Himself to us? Of course, He will reveal Himself to us. And how is it that some people say that God cannot be known? There's so much immorality taking place. Pornography abounds. Perversion abounds. Sexual orgies abound. There's homosexuality right now. Lesbianism abounds. People are saying that right now gender is a matter of choice. No, gender is not a matter of choice. Gender is a matter of creation. The God who created us created us male or female. He did not, he did not create you for you to make a choice as to what gender you should take. And right now, that's the world that you and I live in. It's a world that is so greedy, so covetous, so materialistic. It only thinks about accumulating and grabbing money. Even though it may cause the sufferings of other people. That is the world that you and I live in right now. It is a world that has disrespected God. It is a world that has dishonored God. It is a world that no longer worships God. It is, it is a world that is rebellious. It is a world that is idolatrous. It is a world that practices a lot of abominations. So yes, there is a bit of judgment that is now taking place. And that is also now beginning to affect us. Should we now laugh during these times? I think not. These are very, very serious times. The third lesson that Mark Oden propounds to us is our loss of control. Let me just read the portion. He says, we all love to be in control. We fancy ourselves captains of our, our destiny, masters of our faith. The reality is that today, more than ever before, we can control significant parts of our lives. We can control our homes, heating, and security remotely. 
We can move money around the world with a click of an app. We can even control our bodies through training and medicine. But perhaps this sense of control is an illusion, a bubble that the coronavirus has popped, revealing the reality that we are not really in control. Now here in Italy, the authorities are trying to contain the spread of this virus by closing, opening, and closing again our children's schools. Do they have the situation under control? What about us? Armed with our disinfectant sprays, we try to lower the risks of being infected. There is nothing wrong with this activity, but are we in control of the situation? Hardly. Because yes, you can, you can arm yourself with disinfectant sprays, but what about the food that you eat in the restaurants? What about the cook? Is it possible that they're also affected with the coronavirus? Remember that for some people, they are asymptomatic. They don't show any symptoms nor any signs that they're actually sick. And they could be handling your utensils. They could be handling your plates. They can be cooking your food. They can, be, they can be holding or shaking your hand or assisting you. What about the handrails? What about the handles on the escalator? What about the buttons on the elevator? What about your own keyboard? Your keyboard in your laptop? What about the offices that you go to? Is it possible that they have been contaminated? We don't know. Maybe. But here's the thing. Here's the question. Are you really in control? Are you really in control? I like what Pastor Edmund Chan, what he, had, what he had said some time back. He said, we have this illusion of control. We think we can control things when we cannot. And that's why we need to be able to humble ourselves before our God because what we are actually experiencing right now is the common grace of God. You know what the common grace of God is? The Bible tells us that He makes the rain fall both on the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes the sun shine both on the righteous and those who are unrighteous. The only reason why you and I are breathing at this particular juncture is because of God. The reason why you and I are still healthy is because of God. And let me ask you this question. When you wake up in the morning, are you thankful to God? Do you thank Him that you're still breathing? Do you thank Him that, that you're healthy? Do you thank Him that your organs are still functioning well? The grace of God abounds all over the earth and yet God has been marginalized. God has been put on the periphery of the lives of people. And we think of so many other things that we, we feel are important to us. Our own assets, our own bank accounts, our own careers, our own jobs, our own families. We have disregarded God altogether and we have focused our lives on that which is temporary and that which is earthly. 
And right now, with a great sense of mortality, aren't we being humbled? We do not have control. All control is a matter of illusion. And that is why this is a time for us to humble ourselves before the Lord. The fourth thing that Mark Oden shares is the pain we share in being excluded. He tells of two stories of people who are quarantined. And I don't know if that's going to happen to us. God forbid that it would happen to us, but it could. Do you know how it feels to be quarantined? Well, let me share to you two stories from this article. A few days ago, a member of our church traveled to northern Italy. On her return to Naples, she was excluded from a dinner with work colleagues. She was told it would be better for her not to come due to her recent travels up north, even though she had not been anywhere near the red zones and wasn't displaying any coronavirus symptoms. Obviously, this distancing, it's called social distancing, hurt her. It's painful to be isolated. Why? Because we are creatures of relationships. And if you're isolated, you're alone, all by yourself, and you're having difficulty breathing, you're coughing incessantly, how do you think that's going to feel? A 55-year-old restaurant owner from central Naples has recently been quarantined, having tested positive for COVID-19. He was said to have felt relatively well physically, but was saddened by the reactions of many of his neighbors. The thing that has hurt him more than his positive diagnosis for the coronavirus is the way he and his family have been treated by the city in which he lives. Being excluded and isolated is not an easy thing since we are created for relationship. But many people now are having to deal with isolation. It is an experience the leper community of Jesus' day knew too well. Forced to live on their own, walking the streets of their hometown, shouting, unclean, unclean. And people started to move away from those who had leprosy. Right now, when, when somebody coughs, you want to stay away from that person. When somebody have, has colds, we want to stay away from that person. And we're not even sure if that person has, has coronavirus. But you know, there is a kind of uncleanness that is more unclean than the coronavirus. It is the uncleanness of the human soul. And the Lord Jesus Christ has given us His grand prescription for that uncleanness that we have to be healed. And the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why, again, friends, I exhort you to share the gospel to as many people as possible right now. I hope that those who are listening on live stream right now are taking matters really seriously. These are different times. You know, when, when this happened, When we started to cancel our services, and we were here yesterday, 
about maybe 20 people appeared. It was a rather strange feeling. Right now, we have maybe less than 100 who are here present right now. It's really a strange feeling. Whoever thought that this would happen, by next week, most probably, most of you would be home. And I would really recommend and suggest that you stay home. You know how it feels to preach to empty chairs? I've preached for more than 36 long years. And in the history, in my own personal history in ministry, and I believe in the history of so many other pastors, this has never, ever happened. I never imagined this kind of a scenario. How long is this going to take? I don't really know. The Prime Minister of Singapore says this will probably last for a year. Hopefully not. But the way it's going right now and the way it's spreading, it's quite realistic that this might last for a year or maybe even more. How long will I be preaching to a camera? I don't know. So I hope you take these matters seriously. This is definitely not a joke. Now, the fifth item that he shares here in his article is the difference between fear and faith. He says, what's your reaction to this crisis? It's so easy to be gripped by fear. It's easy to see the coronavirus everywhere I look. On the keyboard of my computer, in the air I breathe, in every physical contact, and around every corner, waiting to infect me. Are you panicking? Or perhaps this crisis is challenging us to react in a different way with faith and not fear. Faith not in the stars, or in some unknown deity, rather faith in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who is also the resurrection and the life. Surely only Jesus is in control of this situation. Surely only He can guide us through this storm. He calls us to trust and believe, to have faith and not fear. Am I afraid? I'm not afraid. Most definitely, I'm not afraid to die. I'm fearful, of course, for, for my family. I'm fearful for my grandchildren. I'm fearful for you. But insofar as I am concerned, I do not fear death. I may fear the pain of death, but I do not fear death itself. And so now is not a time to be cowards. Now is the time to be brave and courageous. Now is the time to step up to the plate. Now is the time for us to open our mouths and speak the Word of God. As I mentioned to you, people are listening, people are paying attention. This is unprecedented. We are in unprecedented and uncharted territory. And people are paying attention. Don't waste this virus. 
So don't be afraid. Have faith. And why should we not be afraid if you are a believer in Christ? Because the Bible says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. If I die today, where shall I go? I shall go into glory. And what does the Bible have to say about heaven? Heaven is a place without tears, without pain, without sickness, without death. The old things have passed away. The new has come. So friends, death for us is actually a promotion. The Greek word for death is the Greek word exudou, translated in English as exodus. It is really an exodus. It is merely a departure. It is not a cessation of life. Life does not expire. Life goes on. We just simply transfer locations. So if I die right now, physically right now, where do I go? I go to heaven. I go to a better place. I go to a perfect place with a perfect God, with a perfect environment, with perfect peace and perfect joy. That's where I go to if I die. So I'm not afraid to die. And I hope that you're not afraid to die. But you know what, what really makes me think is whether I've, I've, done, I've done enough. Have I served God enough? Have I loved Him enough? Have I worshipped Him enough? That is what concerns me. Have I exerted all my efforts to proclaim the gospel. I think that should concern you as well. Do you know that the Bible says that we believers in Christ have been called by God to be witnesses? You know what a witness is? A witness is useless when a witness is silent. Just try to imagine a court hearing. The judge is there the prosecuting lawyer is there. The defense attorneys are there. And then you have the witnesses. And maybe one of the lawyers calls up the witness to the stand. Makes him seat in the witness stand. Then asks him several questions. But he keeps his mouth shut. He's silent doesn't speak any word. What would you think of that witness? That witness would be useless. That witness might as well go home because he is good for nothing. And let me share this to you straightforward. Many of you believers, I'm talking to you, those of you on live stream, many of you believers are like that. You are silent witnesses. Let me tell you this, you're worthless. In so far as the kingdom of God is concerned. God did not save you so that you could sit down and do nothing. God saved you 
Because He wants you to be a witness. He wants you to talk to the people around you, in your offices, in your schools, where you are situated, in your workplace. You're supposed to be a witness. A silent witness is useless. And if we are to believe the statistics, 90% of Christians do not share the gospel. Let me share this out front to you. Shame on you! Shame on you because, because Christ spilled His blood for you, His priceless blood. He died for your sins. All your sins have been erased. Your, your past, your present, and your future sins have been erased by God. He suffered for you. He took the crown of thorns. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was spat upon. And you choose to remain silent? You choose not to speak for your Savior who was not ashamed to die for you. He was stark naked on the cross. His blood spilling all over His body. He was not ashamed to die for you. And yet you are ashamed of Him. Ashamed that your, your friends might know that, that you read the Bible? Ashamed that people might discover that you're a born-again Christian? Why have you kept silent? And how long have you been silent? How long have you been silent? Five years? Ten years? 15 years? 20 years? You mean to say for these 20 years, you have not spoken about the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Shame on you! What you have is just religion. You don't have a relationship with Christ. God is speaking to us right now. I pray people are paying attention and listening. Sixth lesson. Our need of God and our need to pray. In the midst of a global crisis, how can we as individuals possibly make a difference? Often we feel so small and insignificant, but there is something we can do. We can call out to our Father in heaven. Pray for the authorities running our countries and cities. 
Pray for the medical teams treating the sick. Pray for the men, women, and children who have been infected. For the people afraid to leave their homes, for those living in red zones, for those at high risk with other illnesses, and for the elderly. Pray the Lord would protect us and keep us. Pray to Him that He might show us His mercy. Pray also for the Lord Jesus to return, that He might come back to take us to the new creation that He has prepared for us, a place with no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Every month, we have our congregational prayer and fasting. How many times have I continually pled with the congregation to come join us in the congregational prayer and fasting? Now, I understand some of you can't go because you have work. But there are many who do not have work. Don't tell me that the 2,600 people who attend our church, all of them have work on Saturday. I think there are still a lot of people, most especially the students. Let me talk to you young people right now. Young people, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy with prayer. My generation has been faithful up until this very day. My generation has continually been praying and seeking the face of God for this country, for the churches, for living word, for the members of the church. For many other concerns, we have been faithful praying. We've always been waking up in the morning and joining our congregational prayer and fasting. Yet let me tell you, young people, you are lazy. Many of you are lazy. There's no reason many times why you're not supposed to go to the prayer meetings and yet you don't go. You don't join the body of Christ in praying and crying out to God. What does that tell us? Do you not believe in the power of prayer? Do you not believe that our God is able to, to answer our prayers over above, beyond what we ask or even think of? Do you not believe that our God is the God of the impossible and that there is nothing difficult with God? Do you not believe that our God is a prayer-answering God? Do you not believe that God can perform miracles? I am here to tell you that the God that you and I serve is a mighty and powerful and glorious God. He is a prayer-answering God. He is our healer. He is our protector. He is our rock. He is our refuge. He is our deliverer. He is our mighty conqueror. He is the Lord of hosts. Our God is the God of the impossible. And yet, we have been lazy. And that is why the Bible says we receive not because we ask not. Young people begin asking God. 
Cry out to God. Join the prayer meetings. And now look, we have to suspend the congregational prayer and fasting. The prayer and fasting that, that, that we have every holy week, last time around there were 1,000 people at the prayer mountain. Now it stops. I'm calling you out, young people. Don't be lazy. Because when I die, and the first generation of believers die, you step up to the plate. What you have seen in this church is a work of God's mighty hand because the first generation of believers were prayer warriors. And if you young people, if you don't step up to the plate, This church will lose its lampstand. It will lose its influence. It will lose its power and authority. It will die a natural death. I'm talking to you young people. You are responsible. If this church dies, you are responsible. I'm not holding back words right now. I'm not mincing words. And I believe this is God speaking to us. I, pay we are, I, I pray we are paying attention. Seventh lesson. The vanity of so much of our lives. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It is so easy to lose perspective in the midst of the madness of our lives. Our days are so filled with people and projects, works and wish lists, homes and holidays, that we can struggle to distinguish the important from the urgent. We lose ourselves in the midst of our lives. Perhaps this crisis is reminding us that we should concern our, what we should concern our lives with. Perhaps it is helping us to distinguish between what is meaningful and meaningless. Perhaps the Premier League or that new kitchen or that Instagram post aren't essential to my survival. Perhaps the coronavirus is teaching us what really matters. Guess what, brothers and sisters? Many things have been suspended. The Tokyo Olympics has been suspended. The NBA games, watched by millions upon millions of people all over the world, it is also suspended. Football games, conventions, conferences, seminars, 
The world is at a standstill. You know what this makes us realize? Job had this realization. Naked have, have I been born into this world. Naked shall I return. You know what? You can't bring anything that you accumulate in this world. You can't bring your fancy clothes to heaven. You can't bring your fancy cars to heaven. You can't bring your bank deposits to heaven. Now let me talk to you rich people. I'm talking to those of you rich people watching me on live stream. Many of you have relied on your wealth. Many of you have focused on simply accumulating more and more money. Now look, look at what's happening right now. The money that you have accumulated all these years are being threatened. Will you lose everything? I don't know and I hope not. But have you been a faithful steward of the grace of God? Have you been faithful in your giving? Let me just tell you, rich people, God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. The only reason why He wants you to give to the work of the Lord is because He is giving you that opportunity and that gift to participate in the work of the Lord. What a privilege that is. And yet you have selfishly hoarded your money. And look at what's happening right now. When your time is up and you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, He will ask you this question. I gave you resources. I gave you so many blessings. What did you do with those blessings? What will you tell God? Well, Lord, I, brought, I bought houses. I bought properties. I built houses. I made a lot of money. I, I went to... I went to Europe, I had this grand, grand holiday in, in the Maldives. Oh Lord, I, I used the money to connect myself to powerful people, influential people, famous people. Let me tell you, so what? So what? You can't bring that to heaven. And I speak to you right now because I know you're listening and you're paying attention to me. And I hope that when things normalize, you will never ever take things for granted. You are blessed beyond measure. And yet you've been very selfish. 
The Lord has given you opportunity to participate in the work of the Lord. Let me just tell you this. The Lord blessed you for one reason, that you might be a good steward of the manifold grace of God. How dare you be selfish to the Lord? Giving in the first place is for the Lord. Do you love Jesus more than your money? Do you love Jesus more than your money? Answer that question. You rich people who are listening right now, pay attention, answer me. Do you love Jesus more than money? Prove it. Don't just sing songs that I love you, Lord. Don't just say that you love God and you love His church, and yet you just continue to accumulate money for yourself and not participate in the work of the kingdom. Let me tell you, rich people, there are more poor people who are giving their widow's might, and they will shame you. They will shame you. When you get to heaven, they will shame you because they were, they were so generous to give everything that they lived on. I hope you're listening and paying attention. Next is our hope. It says, in a sense, the most important question is not what hope do you have in the face of the coronavirus? Because Jesus came to warn us of the presence of a far more lethal and widespread virus, one that has struck every man, woman, and child. A virus that ends not only certain death, not only in certain death, but eternal death. Our species, according to Jesus, lives in the grip of a pandemic outbreak called sin. What is your hope in the face of that virus? The story of the Bible is the story of a God who entered a world infected with a virus. He lived among six people, not wearing a chemical protective suit, but breathing the same air as we do, eating the same food as we do. He died in isolation, excluded from his people, seemingly far from his father on a cross. All that he might provide this sick world with an antidote to the virus, that he might heal us and give us eternal life. Hear the words of Jesus Christ in John 11, 25 to 26. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 11, 25 to 26. When the coronavirus became pandemic, guess what happened to the people? People started to panic. United States, Australia, Canada, they, they bought 
toilet paper. Bought groceries. Here in the Philippines, the same thing. You go to the groceries right now, people are queuing, lining up, hoarding as, as much food as they can afford. Everybody's panicking. But you know what really saddens my heart? When people talk about the virus of sin, nobody panics. Let me tell you, those of you watching on live stream, there is no purgatory. If you think that there is a place such as purgatory, better check the Bible. Don't just listen to what religious leaders are telling you that there is a purgatory and that it's a probationary place so that if you don't get to heaven, you still have a chance. All you need to do is, is have, your, have the members of your family pray for you when you die. Give money to the church, they would say. And when they do that, you will end up in heaven, they will say. Let me tell you, those of you listening on live stream, check your Bible. There is no purgatory. The Bible says once a man dies, it is appointed that he be judged. So if you do not prepare here and now, you will regret it then and there. Hell is a real place. And you might laugh at me right now. You, you might be laughing on the screen and saying, Ha! That's not true. There's no such thing as hell. Well, go ahead, laugh! But when you die, you will no longer be laughing. You know what the Bible says about the hell? There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is an everlasting fire. You know what, what everlasting fire is? It will never end. You know what, what, the, what hell is all about? The Bible says it's a bottomless pit. You know what a bottomless pit is? You're continually falling, 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 and you never hit the ground because there's no ground. You've had nightmares, right? Nightmares of you falling? Well, it's going to be far worse. It's going to be a real nightmare for you. Right now, you're panicking because of this coronavirus. I tell you, it's nothing. What you should be panicking about is hell. What you should be scared about is everlasting fire. The Bible says that in hell, worms will eat up your body and those worms will not die. Now, you might say, a body? Yes, my friend. Listen well. It's not only the believers who will be resurrected, 
you too will be resurrected. Your body will be resurrected to burn in hell. And I'm pleading to you right now. I've given my entire life for this particular task to share the gospel to you. To proclaim the word of God. That is my whole life. I know no other life. This is the life I now live and this is the life I would die with. I hope you're paying attention right now. And I hope you're asking me right now, so, so, Pastor Mel, so what's the answer? Well, let me, let me tell you this. Your good works will not save you. Because the standard of God is perfection. The standard of God is complete and perfect obedience. And let me just tell you, you have not lived a life of perfection. You have not lived a life of complete obedience. Somewhere along the line, you failed God. And you might say, how? Let me just give you one example. The Bible says, thou shall not bear false witness. You know what that means? Thou shall not lie. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Let me ask you, have you never ever lied in your life? If you've said, I've never lied in my life, let me tell you this, you're a liar. You know what the Bible says? Liars do go to hell. It's not a joke. It's true. You will go to hell. So what are you going to do about it? Jesus died and shed His precious blood for you. Let me tell you, you who mock the gospel, you who laugh at preachers, you who laugh at born-again Christians, let me speak to you right now. Jesus loves you. Yes, He he heard those thoughts from you, those rebellious thoughts, those, those evil thoughts that you had about God. Well, let me tell you, He loves you. And right now, He's speaking to you if you're listening and paying attention. I plead before you, come to Christ. He will welcome you with open arms. The blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse and wash you from all your sins. Now you might say, but how can I change? I'm really sorry for my sins. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better father. How can I change? Well, you know what? It's the Holy Spirit that will change you. What God wants from you is that you surrender your life. Make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And here's the promise. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you want to pray, pray something like this. Lord Jesus, 
I ask for forgiveness for all my sins. Lord, I can never reach your standards. You are perfect, and you require me to be perfect. And that to me, Lord, is impossible. I can never, ever be perfect. But Lord, you made the perfect sacrifice. You died and paid for all my sins, my past, my present, and my future sins. And so, Jesus, I know I'm dirty and I'm filthy, but I trust your promise that though my sins be as scarlet, you will wash them white as snow. So, Lord, cleanse my dirty life. Cleanse my filthy life. Forgive me of all my sins. I ask the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in my body and make me the, the kind of person he wants me to be. If, if you pray that prayer sincerely from the bottom of your heart, if that was accompanied by genuine faith and genuine repentance, then praise God, your name has just been written in the book of life. And so today... I close this with, with hope in my heart. I know there are so many people listening right now in live stream. And here's what I like you to do, those of you who are watching right now on Facebook. I want you to like this video. I'm not doing this for self-promotion. There are some people who have accused me of, of self-glorifying myself or self or exalting myself some have even accused me that the reason why I've written a book is so that I could become famous I know my life purpose my life purpose is not to draw attention to myself but I understand I am a vessel of God I understand I am a prophet of God. And just like Paul, I say this, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So if you are judging me right now, I want you to talk to God and ask Him, am I really doing it for myself? I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this for God. I've labored for 36 long years, and hopefully, by God's grace, I will continue to serve Him for many more years. I have one life purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. So here's what I want you to do. Please like this and share it to as many people as possible. Tag your friends on Facebook. Share it on Messenger, share it on Viber. This message needs to go out. People need to hear. And for those of you who are here, maybe you're not on Facebook for one reason or another, but you know we're taking the church online right now. Sad for me, 
to be talking to empty chairs. But I know people are listening. So maybe it's about time that you get on Facebook not not just to be not to be cool or to chill with your friends, but maybe just to bring across the message. Facebook is a very powerful tool. And let me just also talk to you Facebook users. Sometimes you, you've used Facebook in a very bad way. You've used Facebook to share fake news. You use Facebook to make cryptic statements about some people. You use Facebook to, to destroy people. You use it as a forum of hatred. Don't you think there is such, there is a much greater use for Facebook than, than sharing your jokes or making cryptic statements, intriguing statements, trying to sow intrigues, trying to sow division. Stop. Stop it. Do you know that every idle word will be judged by God? Do you think God is joking when he said that? Facebook used to be a very pleasant medium. It has now become a medium of hatred and bitterness. Shame on you. I can go on and on and on. I think I've said enough. For those of you who are backsliders, don't you think God is talking to you as well? This is a time for you to repent and confess your sins. This is the time for you to kneel down. If you're, if you're in your home right now, why don't you kneel down and cry out to God for mercy? He's been so merciful to you. Those of you at home, cry out to God. Bring your family close to God. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to disciple your children, disciple your wife, disciple those who are in your household. Don't waste it, please. So I'd like to close in prayer right now. I invite you to close your eyes and, and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, these are dark times. But even the darkness is not dark with you. Your light 
shines through this darkness. And we know, Father, that you are accomplishing all of your good purposes to which we submit ourselves to. Many of us are worried and fearful. Let this be a time of introspection, a time of self-examination, a time to take stock or make an inventory of our spiritual lives. Oh, Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you might minister to all of us. Speak to us, oh God. And thank you for today. Holy Spirit, do your work as you have always done it. And we trust, Lord, that your name shall be glorified. We thank you, O oh Lord, for everything. Thank you for this morning. And we thank you for the people who are present here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.